Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. 50 years ago, on April the 11th, there was a huge, huge explosion down in Florida, but it was purposeful, and it was actually a Saturn V rocket that was going to launch into the sky, and it did, it launched successfully, three astronauts into space. Uh, They orbited the Earth for a little while, and then they headed for the moon. And about two and a half days into this mission, all of a sudden they heard this huge bang, and they didn't know what had happened, but some warning lights went off, and and, uh, James Swigert, utters those words that have been kind of rephrased some, but he said, okay, Houston, uh, we've had a problem here. And they didn't know what the problem was yet. But as it turns out, what they discovered is that they had two main oxygen tanks and the first one was showing zero oxygen. And the reason that was, they didn't know, but was because it had blown up, it had exploded uh, through some design error and that the second one had been caused to leak. And so the oxygen from the second container was venting out into the, uh, now there's no atmosphere, into space. And uh, so this is crucial. You know, you can't live in space without oxygen. (laughs) And not only that, the oxygen also is what they use to uh, produce the electricity that, you know, so they could do whatever they need to do in a spaceship. This is a big, big problem. Now, What's interesting, it wasn't long after this that all of a sudden they break into news on television and say, we interrupt our regular programming for this special announcement. And then it just began this long, you know, often, not all the time, but they kept coming back on the news, on the news, on the news, on the news. I was 14 years old at the time, and I remember watching this, you know, just like, what's gonna happen to these guys? And, And there was a whole lot more I mean, we found out later how desperate things were, more than we knew at the time. But people all over the world were watching this. And it even brought countries together who were sometimes enemies, say, hey, we'll do whatever we can to help. I mean, it was a really, really big deal. And so they did figure out how to return to the earth. And about four and a half days later, they splashed down in the South Pacific and uh, safe. And so it was, it was quite a, a story. Uh, and uh, it's a story, that, I mean, a very gripping story. It was gripping to all of us at the time. And um, for, uh, if, how many of you watched the movie Apollo 13 at some point? Yeah, okay. It's a very gripping story, isn't it? It's a good story. And you notice how stories capture our attention? I think human beings are wired for story. And that's why also God has revealed himself in the Bible through stories, through people's lives and things that go on. But anyway, so that line, okay, Houston, we've had a problem. Well, we started last week talking about the the new normal that's upon us because of the coronavirus, the pandemic, everything that's going on with that. And and I didn't use these words last week, but it's, it's what we talked about. It's okay, life source, we have a problem, right? Because... God has told us as a church that there are certain things that we need to be doing, that we need to be about. We said we need to assemble, right? 
we need to assemble in order to worship together, okay? Like we are doing today. If you could go to that slide, that'd be great. If we need to worship together, and then we need to be gathering to experience community together. And so, you know, we're talking about how do we do that with these restrictions? And we had some ideas last week, and as Dave mentioned in his announcements, going forward, we'll have some ideas for you that we hope you will embrace and so we can continue to go forward doing the things that God has given us to do. So last week, we really looked at the first two of these statements. We surrender to the Lord. We grow to be like the Lord. Well, there's the third one. We tell others about the Lord. And so the third thing that we need to be doing is that we need to be reaching out to our communities and the world with the gospel, right? That, that's what we need to be doing. And we need to be figuring how do we do it. Now, the reason this is a problem for us is because largely, not completely, but largely, the, I mean, we as a church support missionaries. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but as far as us doing outreach here, largely our outreach, and you're just going to have to ignore that noise that happens once in a while. My electric magnetic field goes nuts. And, <laughs> Largely, our outreach, the things we have worked on together, have been getting a bunch of people together in the same place, right? Our Christmas program, doing that, our Easter service, we're trying to invite people and get a lot of people here to hear the gospel. Uh, trunk or treat, you know, we've been wall-to-wall people. And uh, on the, the, we've had some outreach efforts like having Lester cruising, you know, where the parking lot is full. We haven't been able to do that this year. There's still some people who show up and hang out, which is fine. But we haven't been able to. So the point is, so much of the way we have done things, we can't do it now. But this is not optional, right? We have to be doing it. And so we have kind of been on hold, you know, trying to, are we going to be able to do these things? Are we not going to be able to do these things, you know? And, and again, I would say to you that, you know, while this seems hard and bad and we've got to make changes and all that, you know, God, high likelihood that God is using this to push us into different places and directions and ideas that we otherwise would not have, you know, looked to. And it will be a good thing in the long run. All right. So we need to be reaching out to our communities and the world with the gospel. Uh, the Great Commission we're talking about. And by the way, if, if Christianity isn't reaching out, and we can't, so we can't go there. But when Christianity stops reaching out, you can start to question whether it's really Christianity or not. It's some other version of Christianity. It's not a Bible version. It's a defective form of Christianity. So we do not want to go there. Second thing we need to understand is that this great commission that Jesus gave, right, go and make disciples of all the nations, that part of it, that that is both a church responsibility, all of us together, we have a responsibility together to be doing that, but then we each have a responsibility as individuals, both of those things, and really all three of these things that way, right? Things that we do together as a church, and then there's things that we do ourselves, uh, are supposed to be doing ourselves. And so that holds true with this area. So how are we going to do these things? What do we need to think about if we are going to be faithful to what God has given us to do? So let's talk about this, that we tell others about the Lord. How do we do that? Well, 
These are in order and they aren't necessarily in order of importance. There's, there's three things, okay? But we'll start with this one. Supporting missionaries beyond our communities to get the gospel out to the whole world. There, in, you know, Jesus said, go to all the world and make disciples. Acts, it says that we are supposed to be doing these. It communicates in there the way the wording is that these are things that we should try to be doing at the same time. Both here, you know, where we are, and around the world as well. We need to be trying to get the gospel out to the world. And so we support missionaries as a church. We have engaged in a relationship with missionaries, missionaries who have come through at one point in time. Many of these missionaries, maybe most of these missionaries uh, came through before you guys got here. Not, not all of us. Some of us have been around for a long time. Uh, but uh, we, we committed to them into like a partnership with them to get the gospel out to the whole world. And so what we partner with them about is that we will pray for them, right? Because we are together in this with them. We're, we're cooperating together. Uh, we will support them financially at whatever level we agreed to for them. And uh, that we will also be involved in any practical ways we can along the way, you know, with, with maybe some special projects that come up or even sending a team of people to go help with something. All right, and so it's important that we do these things. Uh, and I was thinking, I need to, I don't know if I need to do this, but I was thinking about making like a little just test of, you know, here's this, all this long list of missionaries in the world. Which of these ones do we support? Because I'm, I'm not sure that we have done, that I have done a good job of making sure that you are making that connection. But we need to, right? You understand that I'm saying? It isn't just the church separate from me supports these missionaries. It's me as part of the church. We support these missionaries. And so we know about them. Occasionally I try to get those prayer requests on our, our Facebook page, but we need to give. And by the way, thank you, thank you, thank you. In the last, what's it been, six months, year we've been talking about this? I don't remember for sure. But you guys have really stepped up to the plate in, in giving for our missionaries to where we now again have a surplus and if that continues, we will be able to look at maybe a couple things. Maybe one, we haven't given our missionaries a raise in years. That's one thing we might be able to do. Another thing, we might actually be able to take on another missionary, support another missionary going someplace where they need to hear the gospel. And if you've never been a part of it, that is an exciting thing to engage with a missionary in doing that. So let me encourage you, continue to give. I encourage you to give more. You will never, I guarantee you in all of eternity, you will never regret any of the money you gave to reach the world with the gospel, okay? It will, it's going on before you as a reward for you in heaven, okay? Uh, so we need to keep doing that and said, look, for, the more we aware of them, uh, what's going on in their lives we are, the more likely we are to see some practical way we can get involved and help as well. All right, so supporting missionaries beyond our communities. We need to do that, continue doing that. Uh, and the second thing is this, we need to be showing God's love by caring about people's needs in our communities. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about, um, in the book of Galatians, how he, you know, there was this conflict early on, because if you remember, the Apostle Paul began taking the gospel to the Gentiles, and the Jewish believers weren't sure that you could really do that, or ought to do that, or what are we going to, all this kind of stuff. So Paul talks about a meeting that he had with the other apostles in Jerusalem, and how they came to understand that, oh yes, okay, I can see it, God has given you a ministry to reach the Gentiles with the gospel, 
and, and we're focusing on the Jewish people. And so they, in essence, said, go for it. That's my paraphrase. They said, go for it. One thing we ask, Paul, be sure to remember the poor. In Galatians 2, 10, it says that, that we should remember the poor. And the Apostle Paul says, yes, I've already, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think that's important. We're going to be doing that. Well, this idea of remember the poor. So it's, it was like the one thing that the apostles thought in general that they wanted to communicate to Paul. Don't forget the poor. Don't forget people who have needs. We think of poor as being primarily not having money, right? But it, it could be other things. There are other needs that people have and feel and experience, and we need to remember those. And so the idea is this. The church is not a social service agency. The Bible does not tell us that the church is supposed to be providing for everybody's needs, you know, everywhere in the world. It doesn't say that. But it does say that we need to remember. That means we need to care. That means we need to, to be ready to help in ways that we can ways that we could sustain, any ways that we would conclude the Lord wants us to, right? It's part of the commission, and, and here's how. The, when you have this kind of ministry, whether it's, it's making sure that kids have food to eat or clothes to wear, what they need for school, or whether it's making sure people have oil when it's cold, you know, in their houses, or uh, that they need some place they can come talk to when their life is falling apart, whatever, just... We care. And so the idea is, in a community, we want to do that. Because what we want people to know is that God cares about them, right? God loves them. And so we become a visible way of people seeing that God loves them, that God cares about them, that they matter. By the way, they live in a world that very often tells them they don't matter, but they do. And so when we can care and engage, that helps. Now, the reality is that most of the time in these ministries, and by the way, even this isn't so much a need, but even this is why there was a need, a need raised about where the, this, this group of people in Leicester wanted to be able to get together with the car. Where can we meet? So there was a need, and so we engaged with that. I understand that's not poor people. Well, maybe they are. They spent all their money on their cars. But uh, <laughs> um, you understand what I'm saying? It's the idea of engaging and letting people know in the community that we care that God loves them, we love them, and so we're there. But here's the deal. The, these kinds of ministries don't, aren't usually the explain the whole gospel to people kind of ministries. Now, we're ready to do that, but oftentimes you don't have that opportunity. But here's what it does. First, you're communicating the truths about them, you know, that God cares, God loves them, we care, we love them, we would be glad to help them. But what it does is it, it tills the soil of people's hearts. Words, it prepares people's hearts for the gospel. Somebody cares. And it doesn't even have to be them that's receiving it. They're seeing somebody else receiving this help. And it, it, so it breaks up the soil so that the gospel, when it is presented, can take root and grow. And another thing it does is it amplifies the gospel. Right? It makes it louder. And I don't mean harsher louder. I mean louder, more easily heard for people because they already are open because of what they have seen. So as we go forward as a church, we want to be mindful of this. And it's interesting how this ties into the Great Commission. Because in Acts chapter 6, uh, we see the... Um, the problems we're having the disciples of, of caring for all the widows, because I remember we talked last week, there are thousands of people that stuck around Jerusalem, and there's 
So there's a lot of widows need to be taken care of. There's some issues. And so they made some decisions. Probably our first deacons show up here and to, to meet these needs. Or they make decisions to meet these needs. And what is the result? It's interesting that scripture does not say, and all the widow's needs were met. It doesn't say, and they all had food to eat. Here's what it says. It says that then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Isn't that interesting? So this idea of showing God's love by caring about people's needs in our community, we need to be figuring out how to do that. And, and I've been having some conversations with people in the community, and, and it seems like Satan's working against that in the community right now. Some crazy stuff going on there. But God's going to lead us to some things. Things that we can do, things that we can sustain. And maybe you have ideas, right? But we need to be on the Lord. How can we show the love of God as part of our outreach in our communities? It doesn't have to be as Lester. It could be the community that you live in. Okay? All right. This brings us to the third thing. That we need to be sharing our faith stories with the people of our communities, sharing our faith. My faith story, I need to be sharing that. Your faith story, you need to be sharing that, right? Uh, all of us together, we need to be doing this, sharing our stories. Uh, it's really, we're telling people how we got saved. And I'll we'll talk more about that as we go forward. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. It's on page 1221 in the Bible that's in the, the chairs there, if you don't have your own Bible. I just want to set up some things here. Let's work through this and say, how are we going to do this, right? Okay, we're supposed to be sharing our faith stories. Yes, but how do we do that? Because, uh, I, and I will just be real open with you. I mean, I have sh shared my faith story. You know, basically, I'm talking about sharing my faith, the gospel. I have done that on a number of occasions. Uh, I have uh, tried to be faithful to do that. But the reality is there are a lot of people in my life who I cross paths with on some sort of regular basis that I have never shared my faith with. They, they may know that I'm a Christian or that I'm strange or something, I don't know. But I haven't really shared with them. And sometimes it's a little hard, how do you do that? But the reality is I have a responsibility toward them and you have a responsibility toward the people in your life to do this. So how are we going to do that? Well, as always, the Bible gives us some insight into this. So let's start in John chapter 1, verse number 40. Uh, John the Baptist has been preaching. Uh, some of the people have been uh, started to follow Jesus because of John's preaching. And then verse 40, it says this. One of the two who, who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, and, and listen, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. We have found him. All right? And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, or, which is translated a stone or rocky. Okay? So let's continue. Another section. Verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And there's more likely, there's probably more to this conversation than just this, but this is the culmination of that conversation. He says, follow me. This is verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, and look at this, and said to him, 
We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see. Turn over to chapter 4. We're going to tie all this together in a little bit. So just a couple pages over to chapter 4, verse 28. Before we read it, this is the story of Jesus and the, woman, the Samaritan woman meeting her at the well, having a conversation with her, uh, you know, revealing that he knows certain things about her and, and who the Savior is going to be, all this kind of stuff. Verse 28 says, then, uh, The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, and here's, listen to what she says, Come. See a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Jump down to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So because she says, here's what happened. Here's what he said to me. People responded and believed. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, talking about Jesus, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Okay, go over to John chapter 9. Three or four pages there. And let's pick up this story of uh, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. Verse 6. It says, when he had said these things, Jesus, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, if our kids were doing this, we'd say, oh, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that and wash them all off, right? So I don't know why Jesus did it this way. I, I can only guess if I were going to guess, and so I'm not going to guess right now. But so he anoints the blind man's eyes. This man has been, he was born blind. So it's not like he got sick and might, and might recover. He was born blind, all right? Verse 7, and Jesus said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing he is healed. He's seeing things he'd never seen before. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, it's not this, he who sat and begged. Some said, this is he. Others said, nah, he's like him. The, the nahs in the Greek or something. Nah, he's like him. He said, I am he. I, this is me. Therefore, they said to him, well, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Just real quick. He didn't know all the answers to the questions, did he? But he knew what had happened. And that's what he's telling them. Let's continue this story because it's instructive for us. Verse 13. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees, religious leaders, very strict. They wanted to uh, protect the law, so they made extra rules on the outside of the law. You had to keep those rules. And by the time of Jesus' day, most of them were very self-righteous. Okay? And they didn't want anybody threatening their authority, and Jesus was a threat to that. So they're really interested. 
Verse 13 again, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man, talking about Jesus, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, well, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, mm, he is a prophet. He really doesn't know. He's volunteering some possibilities here. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. Yeah, I don't know if this is really true. Let's talk to your parents. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He, the one who had been healed, he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Very powerful statement. Pretty hard to argue with. Okay, jump over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. So Judas has betrayed Christ. There are now only 11 apostles, and they say, hey, I think we should have 12. We need to replace Judas. And so they talk about what is going to be essential in this person that we replace Judas with. And so in verse 21, they say this, Therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Certainly of the resurrection. But you see, uh, there had to be somebody who was around when all of these things happened, right? There was a story to tell. All right, so let's go to chapter two. Peter, in that first sermon on the day of Pentecost, he preaches and so many people get saved, he says, this is, this is part of his sermon. Verse 22, men of Israel, chapter two, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So he points them back to all the things that they had seen and experienced. And he says, verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Go over to verse 32. He continues, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. We saw this. We were there. We experienced this. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both the Lord and Christ. Chapter 8. We actually looked at these verses last week. 
Remember the apostle, it was actually Saul before he became known as the Apostle Paul. And he was opposed to Christianity. He thought it was a, a heresy and, and he was persecuting the church. So start in chapter eight, verse three. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now this word preaching, this translated preaching, it can mean preaching, it means the idea of announcing, but what they were doing, they were sharing the gospel. They were telling people about Jesus and what had happened in his life, telling people about what had happened in their own lives. We have believed this, here's what it's, it means in our lives. So everywhere they went. Go over to chapter 21. Hang in there, I, I should have warned you guys this week to you know, get your Bible finding verses skills in shape. Start in verse 39 of chapter 21. Paul is in the middle of a mob. The Roman soldiers have grabbed him out. They don't know what to do with him. Paul says, can I speak to the crowd? This is in the temple. And so they let him speak to the crowd. Verse 39. But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. This is my answer, my response to what you're so upset about. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way, talking about Christianity, to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders, and you know what, I, I gotta stop the stories because we're running out of time, okay? But is, is it sound like Paul's preaching a sermon? No, what's he doing? He's telling his story. And, and he wants to get to the gospel. He actually doesn't really get to get a very good expression of the gospel here before he gets stopped in this case. And uh, like I said, we just don't have time to read it. But if we go to chapter 26 in Paul's official defense of himself, uh, he tells his story. Very, very interesting, and it, you know, we'll continue to make this available to you and help you with it. But in his, his defense of himself, and it's a longer story, but he starts off with a common ground about who he's talking to. He says, hey, I, I know you know these things and you understand this kind of stuff. Let me tell you what happened. So he establishes some common ground, and then he talks about his life before he came to Jesus. Here's what my life was like. Here's what I was doing before I came to Jesus. Now, then he says, let me tell you what happened. And he tells how he came to Jesus. He tells that part of his story, how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then he goes on from there and says, let me tell you about my life now. And so he tells about how his life has changed, what his life is like now that he has been saved. And then he ends up with saying, I wish you had the same thing I do. Because the person he's listening to is, it sounds like you're trying to persuade me to be a Christian. He says, you're right, I am. He tells his story, and in essence, then he says, uh, what Psalm 34, 8 says, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. But he told his story. And if you see all these things we're looking at, what were people doing? They were telling what happened. They were telling what they had seen. They were explaining what they had come to believe. All of these things throughout the Gospels, 
People are telling their stories. Um, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25. Say, Exodus? What's Exodus got to do with it? Hey, Stephen, you've been talking about Exodus and trying to read it. Here's something really good you're going to see in it, okay? The Apostle Paul, or not the Apostle Paul. Boy, does that come out of habit. Uh, Moses here is writing about what happened, and, and God has given them instructions about the, this place of worship that was called the tabernacle, big tent, really. And then there's an inside place where the, really the holiest of holy places was, where God himself his, would manifest his presence to his people, where they would offer every year that special sacrifice, uh, atonement for sins. But so this special place, and this gives instructions for it. And there was a, a, a container called the ark. Ark means container, okay? It was about a two foot by four foot. I don't remember how high it was. Two, three feet, something like that. And it was right in the middle. And they had instructions to make a gold covering for it and a gold covering that included these, the cherubim, the angelic beings over the middle of this with their wings over it, looking at it. And this place in the middle was called the mercy seat. And that's where God's presence would show up on the mercy seat. Now, let's read this because some really interesting insight here. Verse 10. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. Jump down to verse 17. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end, the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. What? What's he talking about? So what was inside the ark? Well, we know for sure there were three things inside this ark. He calls it the ark of testimony because what went in there were the tablets of the Ten Commandments that Moses had brought down, the second set, okay? And, and that's what was in there. We know that they had a, a container of manna in there that you know, God had miraculously fed them with in the, the wilderness. They had that in there. And they had Aaron's rod in there that had budded where God had done a miraculous thing to show that he was choosing Aaron and his descendants to be the priests, okay? And so God says, he calls this stuff the testimony. What is it a testimony? It's the testimony of God's working in their life. It's a testimony of God revealing himself to man. Here's the word, okay? He's revealing himself to them. It's a testimony of God's provision for them, you know, meeting their needs and taking care of them. It's a, 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 a testimony of God's leadership in their lives. You know, as he, did, he made the direction regarding Aaron. The testimony. We might say this is, this is their witness. This was also their story, wasn't it? This is a testament that God has revealed himself to us in his word and he's provided for us and he's led us. It's his testimony, okay? So it's on top of this that the mercy seat and in this, it's called the ark of the testimony. The testimony's in there, verse number 22. He says, and there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. 
from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So think about this. Here is the ark of testimony. Maybe you can even imagine this up here, right? This is the ark of testimony. Inside it is these things that are testimonies. The story of God's working with his people. And he says, it's on top of the story of, of my working in your life that I am going to show up and be present and interact with the person who stands before me. Okay, now think about this. If you know Christ as Savior, you have testimony. You have something to bear witness to. You have a story to tell. Here's how, you know, what God showed me in my life. Here's what I came to understand that I didn't understand before. Here how, here's how he's met my needs. It doesn't have to be physical, whatever needs. Here's what I'm experiencing there. And he's, he's given me direction in my life by whatever. Your story's there. And so what I want you to think of, and, and I'm just making an application from this passage of Scripture, because the New Testament says we look to the old for examples, okay? What I want you to think is this, that when you share your story with someone, hey, let me tell you about what happened in my life. And what happened in your life includes God revealing himself to you. It, it includes what he's done, it includes the gospel in a sense, because that's how he's changed your life. And when you are sharing your testimony with someone, the very presence of God comes there and God reaches out to that person who's standing in front of you. Can you see that symbolism for us? God's presence connects with our testimony. And so that means when you learn to tell your story, whether you get to tell a little bit of it or a lot of it, that God is present there and will speak to the heart and mind of that person that you're talking to. Uh, and, and so understand this. Here's what I want to say. God will powerfully use your story to draw people to himself. Now, they still have to decide. But you know, sometimes we find ourselves struggling. Oh, I don't know what to say or how to say this or whatever. And I'm saying to you that if you can just tell your story, even if you don't tell it perfectly, God is there. And is using it. Isn't that something? I mean, you guys are just kind of looking at me. I mean, I read this this week and I went, wow. When I tell my story, God shows up and works powerfully. And it shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said, he says, and if I be lifted up, I, if I am lifted up from the earth, talking about his crucifixion, will draw all peoples to myself. And so as you're sharing this with people, the gospel comes up. Guess what? Jesus says, I'm drawing people to myself. I am, I'm using your story to draw people to me. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And guess what's in your story? You may not always get to all the details, but what's in your story? The gospel. It is what? The power of God. I am just so amazed over the years. I, I've, I've said to you before, it happens when I'm preaching here. It happens when I'm sitting down with someone. Sometimes more noticeably when I'm sitting down with someone and sharing the gospel. And they might be kind of resistant, skeptical. And I, how many times I've just sat down and just really opened the Bible and shared the gospel with them. And you watch before your very eyes a change of heart. The gospel is powerful. And that's in your story. 
Okay? And then finally, it says, uh, for the word of God is living and powerful, is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As you are sharing your story with someone, you can be absolutely sure because you're going to be sharing the truths of the word. That's, you may not say the Bible says, but you're sharing with them the truth of the word. And what it's going to do is it's going to stir something in their hearts. It's going to cause them to see where am I at really? What's we're going? Now, they may say no and walk away, but you can be assured that God is at work in them. All right. So this idea of telling your story, we're talking about sharing our faith stories. Sharing our faith stories with the people of our communities. Now, uh, let me share a couple thoughts with you here. We're really talking about just simply tell the story of God's working in your life. That's all. Your story, sort of like Paul did, you know, you're talking to someone, you got some, something maybe in common with them, and then you tell them what your life was like before you received Christ, and you tell the story of how you received Christ, how your life has been since then, and, and you follow the Spirit's leading, you know, and maybe you say, well, what about you? You know, you might get that opportunity. Um, but you're just going to tell the story of God's working in your life. That's all it is. Your story. Hey, can't answer all your questions. But I was blind, now I see. Hey, I can't answer all your questions, but let me tell you, my life has been changed because of Jesus. Very, very powerful. And it's not typically something that puts people on the defensive. Remember I said we're kind of wired for stories? Right, we're wired for stories, we love stories. And so people open up to stories. So, so good and so powerful. The second thing you gotta know is this though, I'm saying just simply tell your stories, you really should work on it. <laughs> Prepare on purpose to share your story. And uh, Peter writes in his first letter, chapter three, verse 13, he says, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to tell your story. So two words. The word ready there implies preparation. The Greek word itself, being ready, means that you have prepared for this. And to explain, that word explain also includes the idea of that you have thought about this ahead of time. So this is the idea we do, we do need to work on. We need to prepare. And so now think about this. That's something you got to do. But this is also where the church starts to connect. Right? Because we can help you with that. We can help you work through that, and we can work through these things together in our stories. Uh, and so here's some ideas that are running around in my head. By the way, you'd be scared if you knew all the ideas that run around in my head. Anyway, um, what I wanna do is to work with you on this, provide you ways to think through this and help it, and then I wanna sit down with you, and maybe some other people will be able to do this too, but sit down with you, we're gonna turn the camera on, and we're going to record your story. Going to interview you, ask you questions, give you opportunity to, to talk about this and share your story. And then what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, we'll take that and we'll edit it for clarity and maybe for some brevity. Um, but then we're going to hand this video to you. And I'm going to challenge you, whatever your favorite social media is, you post it on there and say, this is my story. I'd love to talk with you about it. Now, would that put you out there? Sure it would. 
but you think about all those people that have connections with you that you've never had a good opportunity to share with them. This will provide it for you. And we want to do more than that. Okay? Uh, so we want to also... Um, let me see what I'm thinking here. We also want to take your stories, your video stories, and we want to begin to create a resource online that someone can connect to, where my story's on there, your story's on there, your story's on there, your story's, and you know, we caption them, you know, different things, you know, housewife, da-da, grew up Catholic, da-da-da, I was an atheist, you know, to get people, they can go through and click and listen. And then we put some links on those things. Want to know more? It clicks to it, and then it's me or Dave or somebody explaining. The, here's a very you know, clear, succinct explanation of the gospel and what you need to do to receive it. For someone who says, I have received, I want to listen more. Click on this. Here's how you can get some more info about what it means to live like a Christian and grow to be a Christian, right? All of this is available to us, and we can do this. Now, now, we're going to have to form a team of people because I can't do this myself. And there's things I don't know how to do. But there are people here who do. There are people watching who know. Okay, we can do this, all right? So these three things. We tell others about the Lord by supporting missionaries beyond our communities. We do it by showing God's love, by caring about people's needs in our communities. And then finally, we share our faith stories with the people of our communities. And when we do that, we can say that we are being faithful to carry out this commission. And God will use it. He will work powerfully. Remember, his presence is in the story. And so if we will yield ourselves to this, by God's grace, we can do this. And there will be people saved because you shared your story. It will happen. God will work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and how you show us the things we need to see and understand. Lord, I pray that we as a church will take so seriously our responsibility to be telling others about you, to share the gospel, Lord, that, that we will come together around these things we've talked about today. And I pray, Father, you would stir some boldness up in us. As some of us, I'm sure, Lord, will be fearful to have that conversation, be even more fearful to put it out in front of other people. But God, please stir our hearts Use us to reach the people in our lives and around the world with the gospel. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Go out and keep living the story and start thinking about how to tell it. <laughs>